This is On and Off Your Mat podcast episode 22, Acro Yoga. My name is Erica and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Jason Niemer. Jason co-founded and continues to grow the practice of Acro Yoga. He has certified over a thousand teachers in more than 65 countries. He travels the world to share this incredible practice, believing that movement and play are a great way to bring people together and that using open communication and trust can change the world. Today, we sat down to talk about his journey and the principles behind Acro Yoga. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area and you're curious to try Acro, you're in luck. I've partnered with Acro SF to offer you a discount on your ticket for the upcoming Acro SF Festival running March 15 through 17. Use the coupon code ERICA with a K at checkout to save 10% on your ticket. But hurry, there's only 10 coupons available. As always, I really appreciate your support. So as you leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter a giveaway. Once more, Atleta is supporting this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. If you want to know more about the giveaway, I'll give a bit more details at the end of the show, so stay tuned, and I'll announce the winner of our last giveaway if you did leave a review. Stick till the end. On that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Hi, Jason. Hi, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me today. Super excited. Jason is the co-founder of Acro Yoga here in the U.S., and I've practiced Acro a few times, and I really loved it. The experience was drastically different for me than a regular yoga class, so I thought it'd be interesting to connect with Jason so we can talk about this very popular practice. Jason, before we dig in our subject of today, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey through acrobatics and yoga? Sure. So I was blessed to have an amazing mother who was a hippie from California, and <laughs> she introduced me to all kinds of things, transcendental meditation when I was four, and when the commercials would come on, she would have me and my brothers get up into a shoulder stand. So I didn't know it, but I already had a lot of yoga uh, in my life because of my mom, and then I found gymnastics when I was 12. I actually was watching the Olympics when I was nine and it was the 84 Olympics and wow. the, the U.S. team won the gold medal in gymnastics and that was the seed. I was like, that looks like a really fun party. I want to go there. Yeah, and I bet. Yeah. When I was 12, I found gymnastics and pretty much became my, my passion, my first true love. And From 12 to 23 was my competitive career, and I did not only gymnastics, but also partner acrobatics, which is a lot less known, a lot less common in America, but it's basically like a mixed pair uh, figure skating routine on a gymnastics floor. Mm -hmm. So you do a routine with music and dance, and these things just really unlocked a lot of joy and discipline uh, and just being able to go beyond a lot of perceived limits of what was possible in my body and, and how much my mind had to be aligned with the steps that I was taking. Mm -hmm. Then I found yoga in college, you know, yoga, yoga. Mm -hmm. uh, but like I said, even in gymnastics, when you do a gymnastics warm up in 15 minutes, you'll go through a lot of the asanas that are very common, you know, splits and shoulder stands and full wheel. So um, it was a lot of putting things together and giving them a different context, such as spiritual activation, breath awareness. So these, these were things that kind of led me to acro yoga. How did you merge the two together? How did it come together for you? 
So I was in San Francisco and I had decided that I was, you know, I graduated from UCSD economics major and I was in route to go to be a stock trader. And I, in my last semester, took my first yoga class and my first Asian philosophy class and decided, okay, I'm going to do what I want with my life now and for the rest of my life. So I was living the yogic life in San Francisco, and I kept hearing about this amazing woman, Jenny, who was uh, doing a lot of similar practices. And when we finally met, it took about five months, surprisingly enough. We were training in the same circus center, but when we finally met, that first meeting was just super magical. She put me into some of the therapeutic flying. I put her into some of the acrobatic flying. And we were up until 5 a.m. envisioning a practice that would bring our passions together. Mm, that's super interesting. Do you still work with her? I don't. Uh, since 2012, we kind of went different ways. She's mm -hmm. working more in the corporate environment. Uh, and you know, for a lot of reasons, we stayed together for many, many years, about nine years. Mm -hmm. um, but it got to the point where we had different directions, different passions and different skill sets. Sure. So for people that have no idea what we're talking about, can you explain a little bit more? What is acro yoga? How is it different than acrobatics or how is it different than yoga? Sure. So acro yoga is a practice that has three roots, acrobatics, yoga and healing practices. Mm -hmm. And basically, What is unique to Acroyoga, the way that I've designed it, is it's beginner-friendly. You can have no experience and you can step into the practice. And because there are the extremes, the, the acrobatics and the therapeutics, you can become fully engaged, fully empowered, but also fully surrendered, fully relaxed and rejuvenated. So acrobatics doesn't really have a healing component. Mm -hmm. And yoga, to a large degree, is a solo practice, and things can be really great on your solo yoga mat, but then a lot of yogis don't have the ability to interface that yogic wisdom in partnership. So Acroyoga offers you the possibility to take your yoga off the mat and apply it to relationships. I see. Mm, that's interesting. And how has it evolved since you first, you said, designed it like that? Because I know you're, it's... You know, it, it existed a little bit or different ways before in parallel um, sure. outside of the U.S. So how did it evolve for you or how did it evolve in the world of acro yoga in general? Well, when I say I've designed and I've created acro yoga, um, I want to be clear. This is all part of our DNA that is being unlocked. So everyone, most people have played airplane with their parents when they were kids. Mm -hmm. This is a very natural human activity. Okay. What I've done is I've codified it and I've given things names, given things progressions. Mm -hmm. And when we started, wow, the level was so much lower. And um, basically the first, I'd say five to seven years of the practice Most of the content was generated from Jenny, myself, and a handful of people that were kind of in our inner circle. And then I would say around 2012, uh, maybe a little earlier, the community started generating content at an exponential rate. So I would go to events and I would see things that I'd never thought of before. And that trend has continued. So every year I'm seeing things on social media. I'm like, wow, I never even thought of that. Mm -hmm. So the evolution has been not only in 
the skill level going up, but it's also been in the creativity and the the skills around the world being shared on social media in a way that things catch on in a very quick way. Yeah, I'm sure it has helped and transformed it for sure. Yes. Were you aware of other acro yoga practices like in Canada or in other places? Not really. I knew about acrosage pretty early on, and I'm good friends with the founder of that practice. And he's a similar story to me where he was a competitive acrobat mm-hmm. that got injured and fell in love with massage and started blending massage with mm. the ther- therapeutic flying. His name is Benjamin Morantz. Yes. Um, as far as Acroyoga Montreal or acroyoga.com, Jenny and I were in Los Angeles playing with a bunch of acrobats, and that was the first time that we said the word acroyoga because before that it was contact acro, mm-hmm. which is a horrible term. I never liked it. It just doesn't roll off the tongue. And so we immediately back And it sounds then, like think, a battle a little bit, like martial arts. <laughs> a little bit, right? Yeah, it didn't, didn't have the right vibe. So we immediately went to, it probably wasn't uh, GoDaddy back then. I have no idea how you bought web domains back in the day, but we tried to buy acroyoga.com and it was taken. So we bought acroyoga.org and for about two years, we kept thinking, who are these acroyoga.com people? And there was no website. And then eventually Mm. Acroyoga Montreal posted their website. And in the beginning, it was just curiosity. Like, who are these people? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just really interesting. And on another uh, tangent, I I love science and math and the history of it. So calculus was co-discovered by Newton and this gentleman named Leibniz. And it was two people in very different places in the world that had the same idea at the same time. And I think when things want to be born in the world, they'll find multiple uh, vessels to come through. So I didn't know about them. And there was definitely some tension throughout the, you know, 15 years that we've been coexisting. It went from, I don't know who you are to, I don't like you because you're, you're uh, certifying teachers that are coming into America and teaching quote unquote acroyoga, but it has a happy ending. Uh, they actually invited me to teach at their teacher training and I went and lived with them in their house for a few years, oh, awesome. one bathroom, three kids. We became <laughs> friends. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so yeah, that's that's just kind of the the cool thing about this practice. If you're really doing the practice, you gain a lot of tools of how to relate to other people, how to lift each other up, and how to find common commonalities. Mm-hmm. Is there a big difference between acro in Canada and in the U.S.? Well, there's there are different schools. So um, there are it's kind of like yoga. There's Iyengar yoga. Uh-huh. There's Ashtanga yoga. There's all these different types of yoga. So at this point, there are many types of acroyoga. And if you say acroyoga in Canada, there are thousands of practitioners that have studied with a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. So as far as the schools go, acroyoga Montreal is wildly different uh, than what I do in the realm of creativity. They were dancers and performers. So at their training, they'll bring in a breakdance teacher a capoeira teacher, Mm -mm. a ballet teacher, and they do a lot more creation, whereas I came more from a competitive acrobatics background. So I build systems and I train teachers in the art of teaching. So those are some of the differences. Mm -hmm. How about the healing or therapeutic side? Don't they do yin instead of the... 
Yeah, they do some restorative yoga. It's it's funny. They it basically ends up being nap time. So when I was at their <laughs> training, um, we'd go to lunch and then we'd come back and people would just curl up with bolsters and have a nap. And uh, w- another difference that's super beautiful, I would say they're more um, rooted in yoga than well. It, it's there's many ways to define yoga. Traditional asana, where when they do their flows. They'll be thinking pose, counter pose. They'll be do a back bend and then a twist. Mm-hmm. So they incorporate a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the healing arts, I would say with the Thai massage and therapeutic flying, we dedicate to training people in those arts a little bit deeper. I see. So how does a typical acro yoga class look like here? Yeah, you know, there's really no typical, well, there are some typical things. What's typical is you oftentimes will go to a class and not know anybody. And by the end of the class, have a bunch of new best friends. Um, As far as the content, it really depends on how the teacher was trained, at what point they were trained, because acro yoga keeps evolving and changing. So if you were from old school acro yoga, everyone probably starts in a circle and we might do some circle asana and then it goes into some strength building. So the the good and bad news about the practice, it's super vast and there's a lot of different directions. And depending on if it's at a dance studio or a yoga studio or an acrobatic training facility, the languaging will be different, the content will be different. So acro yoga can really kind of be a chameleon and blend with the type of people that are engaging with it. Mm-hmm. What are the basic concepts people need to know if there's their first class? Well, your body is your temple and you need to be able to be clear about what feels good for you. And when I say your body, it's your emotional body, your physical body. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like the way you're being communicated with or, you know, even better, whatever you need, you should have the ability to speak that out and you should be able to say yes and no to everything that's moving forward. And ideally, if you have a skilled teacher they can give variations that are going to keep you uh, interested, but not push you past where you want to be. So basic terminology, what is lunar versus solar, the flyer versus the base or the spotter? Sure. So I love the elements, you know, whether it's Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, there's a lot of wisdom to just looking at things elementally. So there's water, there's earth, and there's air fire. So I would say the base is the earth. They are the stability. They're the ones that are creating the platform for the flyer to be free. And when I say that uh, air and fire, the flyer is literally in the air. And why I say fire is they have to burn through self-doubt, fear, uh, a lot of different emotional things can come up for the flyer. And then the spotter is water. And the reason why the spotter is water is they want to be able to be everywhere to support the flyer. So like literally, sometimes we do acrobatics in the water. And when you're in the water, you don't need spotters because water will never not catch you. Water will always be there. Mm. Uh, So those are kind of the three realms, base, flyer, spotter. And then with the solar and the lunar, this comes from Hatha Yoga. Ha means sun, fa means moon. And so Hatha Yoga is a practice to balance your masculine and your feminine. So the acrobatic practice by design is very fiery. It's, it activates the muscles. It confronts a lot of uh, ideas of where your limits are and helps you step beyond where you normally are. And then the lunar practice is very nurturing. It's very... Um, 
rejuvenating and it gives you the ability to undo the tension that gets built up by doing acrobatics. What is different in the experience of what what are the things people learn in an acro class about their body, about the practice that they wouldn't learn in a regular yoga class? So in a regular yoga class, you have gravity constantly. And the only way that you can really engage with gravity is by pushing against it. It's very hard to be uh, gaining the ability to be fully surrendered and relaxed in deep uh, flexibility poses. So when you do, say, the therapeutic flying as a flyer, you can be in a deep backbend, and instead of squeezing your muscles to get into the deep backbend, you can be a sloth. You can be 100% passive in your muscles, and because the base is supporting you, you can find access to different ranges of flexibility by being passive. So that's one aspect. Another thing is in your typical yoga practice, you can really only rely on yourself. And in an acrobatic practice, you not only have the support of a base, but oftentimes you'll have a spotter. So when you get into a community dynamic of three, there's so much more that's possible. So I, I would say that in an acro yoga class, you have the potential to expand your reach in what is possible because you have a safe supportive environment. And it's not to say that yoga is not a safe supportive mm -hmm. environment. It is for many aspects. And I don't think that acro yoga is a substitute for yoga because the more depth you go into with partnership, the more important it is to come back to yourself and figure out, okay, these are my strengths. These are my blockages. This is how I want to evolve who I am. Then you get to go back into the laboratory of partnership with the wisdom that you get from your individual yoga practice. You think it gives you a different vision on self-study? Yeah, well, it becomes applied self-study. So mm. you can be a yogi who's like, oh my God, I'm so enlightened. I just rock. <laughs> I'm, I'm able to sit for 20 minutes without twitching a muscle. And then you get into traffic and you're a dick. I uh, don't know if I can say that <laughs> yeah, on, on your right. podcast. but uh, So self-study is great, but it can also be narcissism if you don't figure out how to apply the theory of self to others. Mm. So then it takes that self-study and puts you in context in relationships. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's applied. It's applied self-study. Yeah. So it ripples in your life, in your other relationships, not just in traffic, but probably in communication with others, particularly. You were mentioning before, like, you have to be able to say your limits and honor those and verbalize them with your partners. And the good news as well is the physical practice is a very uh, neutral place for partners to explore their, their innermost uh, fears, blockages. So I had a couple that came years ago to a class and they were fighting the whole time. And it was just a very awkward class for 90 minutes. They left and I was like, oh, thank God, they're never coming back. And then they came back the next week. And they fought a little bit less the second time. And after they came three days or three weeks in a row, I went up to them like, so what, tell me what's going on with, with you two. And they're like, well, we were basically on the verge of breaking up. And this practice has given us tools that we never knew we needed to be able to problem solve, solve our relationships. So if you come with relationship drama, the physical practice can be a really uh, interesting laboratory for you to work through things without having to go to therapy, without having to have so many other theoretical mental things. Mm -hmm. When you feel trust, when you feel support, when you feel this visceral 
flow with somebody else, this can be something that is super strengthening and healing to relationships. Yeah, I can see that. And if you're coming alone and you're not trying to heal a relationship, what I've heard constantly about Acro Yoga is how the community is tightly knitted. So is that part of it, the overcoming fears, trusting other people that creates the the community? Or is there an intention and a container particular to the way it's thought? You know, ev everyone is different. Um, everyone has different motivations. But I think in general, when humans find something that they value, they want to share it with people. So like just yesterday, I put on Facebook, hey, what's good on Netflix? And I got maybe 30 people saying their favorite things on Netflix. People like to share what they like. Mm. And acroyogis in general across the, the globe, as I've seen them, if, if there's a group of acroyogis in the park and somebody walks up and says, hey, what's that? They want to share it. So I, I think this is more of an innate human quality. When you find something good, you want it to expand, whether it be your favorite thing on Netflix, whether it be a way to massage somebody's wrist after they've done handstands for a while. I think human nature is that we want to connect to other people and share our passions. Do you think it's easy for beginners to show up and start and not feel scared that they don't know or they're not part of it already? It's a very open community. I think the, the beginner experience is something that's so magical. It's like your first kiss or the first time you eat a mango or, you know, any number of firsts. The first time you do something, there is fear. And what I see fear as is potential joy that's locked up. So the more fear somebody has, the more they're going to freak out in a very positive way when they get to engage into it. So myself, I love to fly huge people, people that think they can't do it. And actually, I was at a party recently, and there was a guy that has giantism, which is a thyroid condition that basically makes them huge. Uh -huh. And he also was partially paralyzed for a couple of years in a wheelchair. So he's this big dude that can't move very well. And I saw him, I'm like, I'm going to get you up in the air tonight. And he didn't believe me, mm. and he didn't necessarily want to do yeah. it. But when he did, it wasn't just his experience. It was everyone at the party that saw him. Like people were so moved by that. So if you're a beginner and however many uh, lists of things you have that keep you from doing whatever it is, as soon as you step up to the plate, it's going to be really powerful for you and the people around you. You personally, do you prefer to be a base or a flyer? You know, who do you love more, your mother or your father? You need them both to be complete. Um, I've definitely spent more time basing and I'm a control freak. And, you know, I have a lot of archetypal things that put me very firmly in the base role. But in the past, I'd say seven years, I've actually been flying a lot more. And at the last teacher training that I taught in Los Angeles, My co-teacher is a woman that weighs about 125 pounds. I weigh about 165, depending on how much candy and, and ice cream I'm eating. Um, and she based me in about 85% of the content, which was super fun for both of us because we both have to step up our game to be able to interact in that way. So as a flyer, I have to be very trusting and very skillful about how I move my body because I'm oftentimes as big or bigger than my bases. Mm -hmm. Is there a general tendency for men to be base and women to fly? 
the the stereotypes are as strong as the practitioners are young, I would say. Mm. I, I think that people that are just doing the practice, they might have their cultural ideas of what is possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love seeing people that break that norm. And if you do the practice enough, gender doesn't really become the the most important thing about the person. It's how do you communicate? Do you practice safely? Do you have spotters when you need? Are you able to listen to me when you know I'm freaking out? So um, I would say when people are first doing the practice, it, let's say you're a bigger man and there's a woman that says, "Come try to fly this on me." You might not trust them just because of who they are and how they look. Mm -hmm. But if you are in the practice long enough, the cool thing is when your alignment is good, weight doesn't really matter. There's, you know, I'm not being egotistical when I say this. I've I've practiced it. There's not a human I have not been able to get up in the air. I can fly anybody because I have 30 plus years experience and I'm very clear in my technique. I let the bones take the weight. So when somebody is skillful in their ability to base, size doesn't matter. Mm. Oh, that's good to know because I'm I'm assuming people have expectations on what they'll be able or other people will be able to make them do. And it's super cultural. There are many countries where men and women aren't allowed to touch each other unless they're married. So when I'm in the Middle East, when I'm in India, mm-hmm. there are a lot of cultural things that you either have to be uh, flexible with. And at some point, there's the possibility that people are willing to leave their cultural norms to take on a new culture, which is the culture of acro yoga, where you're a base, a flyer, or a spotter. And we don't care how old, how big, we want to invite everybody to the practice. Mm -hmm. Can we dig a little bit more into this with the idea that you were mentioning earlier with healing and how that connection between people, that building of the trust, that open communication, and how men and women relationship might be affected by that? Yeah. Um, for a woman to know she's strong enough to base her boyfriend mm-hmm. or husband, this can be a big shift in in the mindset of, of the woman being fully empowered. And then the other stereotype is, holds true as well. For a big, strong man to surrender into another man's hands and feet, there's a lot of stigma around that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's men being able to be soft and vulnerable, and it's women being able to be empowered, stable, and strong. And you know, years ago, Jenny and I came up with this slogan: like, this would be great for a T-shirt. Acro yoga, strong women and sensitive men. <laughs> and this is comes back to this idea of hatha yoga. We want to balance our fire with our lunar. We want to mm-hmm. balance our masculinity with our femininity. When I say we, I mean yogis. This is a yogic uh, ideal that you can be as fully empowered in the moments where you need to and as fully surrendered and soft in the moments that you need to. And the, the good and bad news is that spectrum is never ending. You can always become more empowered as an acrobat as you get more skilled. Mm -hmm. You can always become more soft and more relaxed and more passive as you learn how to be a good receiver in the therapeutics. Mm -hmm. Do you think it encourages intimacy between men and women, but also between men and men and women and women in the variation that is non-sexual? For sure, it has that potential and that possibility. And there are... Well, yeah, inherently that is going to happen. There is intimacy because there's touch 
and there's a vulnerability of I'm scared of doing this skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I can do it. So you you break down a lot of barriers, um, and I would say to a large degree, the the community is practicing on a non sexual level. And sexuality, I think, is is going through a big transformation right now. And to to a large degree, in a lot of communities, there's a lot of fear around how to express sexuality. And the reason why any of us are here is two people were brave enough to step towards each other and face the reality that we are sexual beings. Um, so I've seen sexuality be weaved skillfully and non-skillfully, and that's going to be the case for the rest of human existence. Mm-hmm. And being able to, what I love about this practice personally is I get to massage my dad and I had a realization when I was working on him, the only two people that get to touch him in a loving way are me and my mom. Mm-hmm. And he's chosen that or society has chosen that for him. But I love the fact that on a weekly basis, I'm able to be in very intimate, connected, touching space with people and not have it be because I'm trying to have sex with them or them me. Yeah. And on the other hand, how do you create a safe space for personal boundaries to be honored and respected? If we think of like the Me Too movement and we talked about touch and sexual contact, whether it's you know wanted or not. Yeah. So Ashley Judd is a friend and an ally to the practice. She's actually a certified AcroFit trainer. And so I've been able to engage with her quite a bit throughout this movement and get her her insight and also just, you know, share my friendship with Mm -hmm. her. And there were moments where people in the acro community were saying, everything needs to be consensual. So if you're about to touch their thigh, can I touch your thigh? And, you know, I think that what I've seen is the pendulum swings a lot right now. And it's swung to a side of very uh, cautious, very uh, communicative. And when I do massage with Ashley, I don't ask her, can I touch your thigh? But I'm constantly checking in on many levels throughout my engagement with her. And there's a trust and there's a rapport. And I would say every person that engages in the practice is going to have different needs. And Mm -hmm. to be good, quote unquote, good at acro yoga you find ways that you check in on the, on a regular basis. And that's the one who's giving, the one that's receiving. You know, I have a phrase that I learned from a friend. The only way that you can receive a bad massage is if you're a bad massage receiver. Please speak up and let the person know what you want and what you need and what you're not comfortable with and what you love so they can be a better massage therapist. So I think a lot of these practices, when you do them a lot, they become second nature, mm-hmm. uh, And I would put 50-50 onus on each person when they're engaging. The receiver, they have to work on being a skillful receiver, which means listening to their body, listening to their emotions, and communicating what they need. And then as a giver, you want to be able to be very open to feedback and step forward step by step. So in the acrobatic realm, if you meet somebody the first time at the park, you're not going to want to do your most dangerous high-level acrobatic skill the first moment. You're going to want to build rapport step by step so you know you're in harmony with that person. You don't get to a point where there's an injury, whether it be physical or emotional. Mm-hmm. Does it happen that people are like, I, I'm not connecting with that person. I, I have trouble and I'd rather not practice with them and they choose to practice with other people in the room as people exchange partners? Yeah. Uh, an extreme scenario I had years ago, I uh, was at a, a workshop, a five-day course in Sweden, 
And there were two people that were acting kind of strange and I could feel it. And the woman came up to me and said, uh, that's my ex-boyfriend. He threw me off a bridge and tried to kill me uh, two months ago. <laughs> I was just like, okay. wow, I, this one's not in the Acroyoga playbook, but uh, <laughs> I'm listening. And basically she said, I don't want him to leave, but I don't want to interact with him at all during these five days. And I said, that's totally fine. I told the team about it. And basically they both not only stayed in the five-day course, but they ended up working with each other towards the end. Mm. And they had... They had a lot of healing, and I don't know what the truth of their story is, but you know there are extreme situations where people have a lot of blockage, and these can be safe containers where they can work through that. Um, but communication is key, listening is key, and being able to ask for support is key. What's your hope for Acroyoga in the next five, ten, or twenty years from now? Well, those are all such different timelines. Uh, I mean, in I the future, do. Where, yes. where do you hope to see it go? Well, my number one future goal is to have a billion acroyoga practitioners. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, I, I set a lot of goals throughout my life. I wanted to go to the Olympics. I went to the Olympics. I wanted to start a global practice, got acroyoga on seven continents in a couple of years. I had a lot of really big goals and I kept achieving them because I feel like I aligned with a beautiful group of people that supported the direction that I wanted to grow in. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's definitely going to keep me busy for a long time. So I like that about that goal. Um, I would say in the shorter term, say five years, uh, I'm looking to align with other companies uh, that can take what I have and get it to more people. So that's kind of the pragmatic steps, whether it's, you know, Whole Foods, or I'm not even going to name any because I don't know who my perfect partner is, mm -hmm. but a, a company that's that's really dedicated to bringing positivity through movement, connection, and play into the world. I've done what I can by myself as an entrepreneur as a, and as a visionary, uh, but I'm really excited to meet other companies and other people that can take what I've done and, and help me get to that billion person mark. Nice. So if there's some people out there that have never done it and they're inspired and they're like, okay, I want to be part of that 1 billion people, do you have any tips for them and where do they start? Yeah. So the good news is there are acroyogis all over planet Earth. There's over a thousand certified teachers in 65 countries. And that's just my school and my brand of acroyoga. So um, finding a certified teacher is a great way to start. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can also start just by whatever city you live in, you know, Montreal, Facebook, Acroyoga, just search around for Facebook groups and you can reach out and say, hey, when are you guys having classes or jams? I'm a beginner and I'm, and I'm interested in joining this, this practice or having my first flight. Um, and I would say the third way, I have a lot of online uh, courses. Mm -hmm. You can either do free courses or paid courses, but basically acroyoga.org is a great resource to find those things and YouTube. Um, so, you know, find, find somebody that knows more than you about acroyoga, tell them you're a beginner and take your first flight. Yeah. Awesome. And if you guys are in the San Francisco area coming up in March, there's the Acro SF festival, right? March 15, 16 and 17. And if you're in LA, I'm teaching a foundation course the last weekend of March. So this is a six-hour Saturday, six-hour Sunday course that gives you all the foundational elements you need to get your practice started. Awesome. Anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? Uh, I'm just really optimistic for 
what Acrio can do for the current state of humanity. Mm-hmm. I see with cyber connections and just a lot of political instability and unrest around the world. I actually got to go work with the caravan, uh, the refugees in Tijuana twice this year, actually last year. And I love seeing what this practice can do to make people present, trusting each other and playing. So I, I couldn't come up with a better time in human history for acroyoga to be a type of medicine for what a lot of people want. Because as unique as we are individually and culturally, we all want support. We all want to feel part of a tribe. We all want to be challenged and we all want to be loved. And that's something that acroyoga has the potential to offer. That's beautiful. Perfect way to finish our episode. <laughs> Yay! Uh, I'll put all your info in the show notes, but in the meantime, if people want to connect just to say hi or they want to learn from you, what's the best place for them to find you? Uh, Instagram or Facebook. I'm Jason Niemer. And yeah, please reach out. And I hope I get to fly you and meet you soon. That would be awesome. Yeah, if you're in LA, let me know and I'll let you know if I'm coming up to the bank. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We have a great guest coming up, so make sure to subscribe. Now, if you want to help other people find this amazing podcast or you want to get your chance to win a $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or go on the podcast app on your iPhone and write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter a giveaway and I announce the winner on the next episode. If you're newer to reviews, check out the show notes for instruction or for more info about our guests of today or acro yoga in general. You can also go to my website, ericabelanger.com slash blog dash podcast for those two things. Last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is user Ali C. Rucker. Ali wrote, I love this podcast because Erica's deep interest in all things yoga is so obvious and authentic. She is inspiring to listen to, hosts awesome guests, and explores a wide variety of topics, not just pertaining to yoga, but to all of life. I especially enjoyed the recent episode featuring teens because the skill and experiences of yoga, meditation, mindfulness are for everybody, not just adults. Beautiful offering from a fantastic and knowledgeable Bay Area teacher. Thank you so much, Ali, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. See, guys, it's that simple. Now, before we go, I just want to say one last thing. Thank you so much to Alexander Saba working in the background of this podcast, creating the music, editing, and mastering. Once again, thank you guys for joining us and until next time.